Hi, I'm Jeremy Eckert. My wife Candace and I are the campus pastors at the Ridge Park Hill. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope that this message connects with you, reveals God's word of truth in your life. Be encouraged, take courage, and enjoy. Okay, so here we go, guys. Uh, last week we began a series called Heads Up. It's about situational awareness in our Christian lives. So situational awareness is a term that we use a lot in aviation because it describes how the people, especially the pilots, interface with their environment. It's, it's what we use to describe the, the thing that basically says when you're in the cockpit, you've got to have a mastery of your surroundings and keep flying the plane. To keep the main thing the main thing. Even in the face of distractions and data overload, You've got to perform your duties, and you've got to understand how your environment is changing. Dr. Micah Inslee helped pioneer the description of situational awareness and speaks of the three components that we talked about last week, perception, comprehension, and projection. And so we're going to tackle these one at a time. Last week, we talked about perception, perceiving the the way situations unfold in our Christianity, whether it's ministry opportunities that come, whether it's ministry opportunities that we're giving out, or whether it's worship that's happening all around us. There's this idea that life is going on all around us and that the kingdom is happening all around us and we've got to be able to see those things happen, to see opportunities, influence, and worship in the middle of our crazy lives. Last week, we used the tragic example of Eastern Airlines Flight 403 of example of what not to do. On that flight, the, the whole flight crew was distracted by a failed light bulb, and they accidentally flew their aircraft into the Everglades. We were reminded due to that incident that we've got to keep the main thing the main thing, that we've got to overcome distractions no matter how they, how they come, no matter how they appear. We've got to avoid these little things that are going to distract you from the big things of seeing how the kingdom of God is moving around you. We challenged last week by some examples that Jesus gave us of how he was situationally aware of the kingdom at all times. That was last week. This week I want to move on to number two, the second thing in situational awareness. It's comprehension. You see, it's, it's amazing to perceive what's going on and to perceive our surroundings, but... It doesn't do us a lot of good if we perceive, but we don't understand. It's very important. It's it's of primary importance, I'll say, to notice things. But almost as important, it's to understand the message of what's happening. And again, situational awareness is a term that we use a lot in aviation, partially because the loss of situational awareness is at least a contributing factor to the majority of the accidents that we read about. Major accidents, things that we don't want to repeat. So if you don't perceive your environment, if you don't perceive your terrain, your horizon, your instruments, then bad things happen. And if you perceive, but then you don't comprehend, bad things happen. Our example this week is another tragedy, June 1st, 2009. Air France Flight 447 left Rio de Janeiro for Paris, France. On board were 216 passengers, mostly Brazilian, although there were some French and German and two Americans on board, along with hosts of other countries. Twelve members of the crew, including three pilots, because of the length 
of the flight, they had to have an extra pilot so that they could rotate through their duties and one could rest and the other two could fly. Now one guy, the captain, uh, Mark Dubois, was actually very experienced with 11,000 flight hours under his belt. 58 years old, experienced captain. First officer, David Robert, was 37 and had 6,500 hours flying. And then there was 32-year-old first officer, Pierre Cedric Bonin, with just 3,000 flight hours. About halfway between the tip of Brazil and the coast of Africa, uh, somewhere just out in the middle of the Atlantic, they entered an area of turbulence and icing conditions. And then the aircraft began to accumulate some ice, including on the PO tubes. Now, the PO tubes are the things on the side of the airplane that indicate your airspeed. And with those clogged, the aircraft knew that it no longer had good uh, airspeed data and the autopilot disengaged. Now, they were going through heavy turbulence, and so the aircraft began to roll to the right. The younger first officer, uh, Bonin, took control of the airplane and, and began to, to fight the roll. So he pushed the, the side stick to the left, and, but, and also doing that, at the same time, he pulled back, and, and he shouldn't have. There was really no reason to, but, but he did. And so by the time that he had corrected the roll, he had pitched up enough to gain a, a, a climb of 7,000 feet per minute. Now, now, that's about three times as much as an aircraft would normally climb, even at the early stages of flight, down where the air is thicker. It never does that kind of thing, especially up at altitude. It's an Airbus A330, and they're not fighter jets. In order to accomplish this incredible climb, it had to trade its airspeed for altitude. And so the aircraft slowed over this climb from 315 miles an hour down to just 60. 60 miles an hour is not enough speed to produce enough lift to keep an Airbus A330 in the air, not at sea level and especially not at altitude. So the altimeter began to, ro to roll back. They were in an aerodynamic stall. The, the first officers, realizing what was happening, pushed the engines to maximum thrust. They went toga, which is takeoff go-around thrust, 100% of the engine capacity. At this point, the icing stopped. The PO tubes thawed out with the anti-ice systems. And they begin functioning again and supplying the, the critical airspeed data that they needed. The first officer with the most experience, David Robert, he requested control of the aircraft and began to push the nose down because he knew that they were in an aerodynamic stall. His instruments told him he was in an aerodynamic stall, so he pushed the nose forward. But the other guy in the other seat, continued to pull back on the stick, and the airplane, having two contradictory controls, continued to pitch up. And from this point, for the next oh, three minutes or so, the aircraft continued in a, in a very high pitch. The, the captain finally enters the cockpit, and he sees what's going on, and he, he talks to the guy, Bonin, who is still causing the stall by pulling back on the stick, and he said, no, 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 push it forward. But it's too late. The aircraft impacted the Atlantic somewhere out in the middle. It had been about three and a half minutes, terrifying minutes, might I add, for all the people in the back. When the aircraft hit the water, it hit at a nose up of 40 degrees. 
It took about three and a half minutes from, from the first indication of trouble until the impact with the Atlantic. And through most of that time, through more than two minutes of that time, all of the instruments were reading correctly. They had everything they needed to fly the plane. But because in that first few seconds they, they thought, this, this first officer thought that he couldn't trust the instruments because of that, he saw what the altimeter was doing. He saw what the horizon indicator was doing. He saw these things. He saw the airspeed. But he didn't comprehend what they were telling him. Comprehension is critical. When we look through the through the Bible and all the stories of signs and whether people see them or not or, or comprehend them or not. We always come to an example that we usually just visit at Christmas, the birth of Jesus. I love reading about the birth of Jesus. I love reading the Gospels. One of my favorite accounts of the birth of Jesus is actually from the Gospel of John because John had some significant insight. Right? John was Jesus' friend. John is the one that got the revelation. John knew what was going on in the kingdom. And so, when John describes the birth of Jesus, he doesn't talk about shepherds and angels, even though those things are awesome. When John talks about the birth of Jesus, he sees it from, from God's eye view. He sees what's going on spiritually. And he points out how much humanity saw the signs and missed it. It didn't comprehend what was happening. John writes this of the birth of Jesus. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not out of blood, or not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's an awesome account of the birth of Christ, but it's also a, a devastating Scripture. It points out that, they, you know what, all of Israel was looking for a Messiah. All of Israel, they had the promises. They knew that a Messiah would come from the seed of David. They knew He was going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew the time was drawing, was drawing close. They saw the star that was appointed to show the way, and they missed it. They missed it. The people who came to save missed it. They saw what was happening, but they didn't understand it. The people that did understand it were miles and miles and miles away. The wise men of the east. It took them about three months to travel all the way to Bethlehem to worship Jesus. Because everybody else, the people that lived right underneath it, missed the significance so tonight, guys, I want to point out to us tonight that it is important not only to see signs, but to comprehend what they mean for us. 
Because I believe 100% that God speaks to us in various times and in various ways. And some of the ways that He speaks to us is through signs. The question tonight is, are we perceiving and are we comprehending? Now, I'm not talking about guidepost signs, right? So, a lot of times when we talk about asking God for a sign, it's in order to make a big decision, right? So, God, I'll go to this college if I get this scholarship that I just applied for, and so let this be a sign. And, you know, God, I, I will, um, I'll, I'll, I'll be a missionary, or I'll go on this mission trip if I flip a quarter ten times and it lands on head every time. I mean, stuff like that, right? Honestly, there, there's a place and some precedents that we see for things like that in Scripture with Gideon and things like that, but we don't see it anymore really after the Holy Spirit is poured out because God has a better plan now. Now when we talk about signs, we don't necessarily talk about the big things. It's not, it's not stuff like that, right? God has given us His Word, and we're expected to read it and understand His heart, and God has, has given us His revealed Word through the Holy Spirit, and so He's guided us that way. So I'm not talking about guidepost signs. I'm talking about little things. Little temperature measurements, if you will, of your situation, of your trajectory to see what's really going on in your life and to see if your life is lining up with the direction that you really want to go. Because the truth of the matter is, just because your nose up doesn't mean that you're gaining altitude. Tonight, the challenge for us is to take just a moment to scan some of the things going on in your life and to see how, what the signs are pointing to. To comprehend the things that are going on, to comprehend the relationships you have, to comprehend the appetites that you have, and just see, is this really where I want to go? What are my instruments telling me? What are these signs telling me? A couple of things real quick, and we'll close. First, comprehend signs in a relationship. Comprehend your signs in a relationship. And again, guys, I'm not talking about putting a fleece before the Lord and saying, God, if, she, if you'll make her wink at me, then I'll ask her out. That's not what I'm talking about in relationships and signs. I'm talking about this. What about your significant other? What if you're already in a relationship with somebody? Maybe you're in a serious relationship or maybe you're just now starting to talk to somebody. Whatever your situation is, I want you to take a step back and look at it and see what that situation is really telling you. Is that relationship with you leading you to a place that you want to go? Obviously, you know, we have to consider things like holiness and how you're going to push each other toward righteousness or not. But maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just... You know what? Are we even getting along? Or maybe we've been in this relationship with this identity for so long that we just keep pushing in this direction. And maybe we're not even sure why, but, but we're not happy together and we're arguing. And the question tonight is, if you take, back, if you take a step back and you look at the instruments and, and you see that you're losing altitude, then, then why keep doing the same things that you're doing? Take a step back and look at your relationships. If you've got a significant other, take a step back and look at it and just see, is this what God wants me to do 
right now? Is this making me into the person that I want to be? If so, great, go for it. But if not, until you walk down the aisle and, and you say, I do, then, hey, there's no promises. It's okay to, to end things and go your separate ways. It's okay. A long time ago, when we were still riding dinosaurs, I started dating a girl when we were 14. And nothing wrong with this girl. She was cute. She's a Christian. I mean, everything was fine. We were still dating when we were 16, and we really should have stopped right then. Because we were just growing apart. We were doing different things. And, and, and nothing bad. Like, she was fine. I was fine. We were all good. But, but we would argue, and it was just unhealthy. And if we would have taken a step back and just kind of looked at the situation, we would have saved a lot of heartache. Because instead of ending it right there, we drug it out for another year. And I hurt her, and she hurt me, and it was horrible. We both lived a horrible existence because we didn't just stop. And so sometimes when you're in a relationship, especially if it gets serious and you take a step and you say, wait a minute, I'm losing altitude here. What's going on? It's time to stop. Take a minute and look at your relationships. Maybe you're just talking to somebody. Great time to look at it and say, hey, is this really taking me where I want to go? Is this really going to be a holy relationship for me? Is this really going to move me in the direction that I need to go spiritually? Take a step back and see. What about friends? Take a step back and look at your instruments and see where your friends are taking you. And by the way, it sometimes changes because people change as you grow and as, as, as situations evolve. Things happen and people change and I get it and it's fine. Maybe you've grown a lot closer to God and they haven't. Maybe they've just gone off the deep end. Maybe you're the one that went off the deep end and now they're holy and they're, they're getting rid of you. I'm just kidding. But maybe there's a disconnect now between what you want and what they want. And that's okay. Things happen. Still be their friends, especially if they're really going in the wrong direction or they're, they're not saved. Because, I mean, you've got to win people. And to win people, you've got to influence people. So be their friend. That's fine. But take a step back and say, you know what? Is this friendship leading me to righteousness is this iron sharpening iron and if it's not find a way to continue to influence them but shut their influence off of you find a different group of people to really confide in to be your inner circle but it's okay to take a moment and to look at the signs because let's be honest in relationships you know what's going on you know if your friendships are healthy you know if they're leading you in righteousness or you're leading them in righteousness. You know if that girlfriend or boyfriend is good for you. You know these things. But most of the time, you'll just keep doing what you're doing, hoping that things will change. Guys, this is the time in your life where you take a step back and you say, if the instruments are telling me this, I'm going to believe them. I'm going to comprehend what the signs are saying. I'm going to make some changes in my life. And I'm going to pursue God even more fervently. Secondly, comprehend signs in your attitude. Comprehend signs in your attitude. Now here's the thing, guys. Attitude is something that you can control. You have the ability to control your attitude and have a great day or a bad day. You have the ability 
That's one of the, the awesome things about being a human is that you can choose your attitude. But having said that, let me say this. If you're continually needing a correction and you're continually having to, to go from, from super sad or, or super mad and continually adjust yourself, then thank you for doing that. The rest, it, it makes life better for everybody, including you. But, but maybe that's just a symptom of a cause that you need to address. Maybe if you've got anger issues and you're always on the verge of blowing up, then maybe you're able to control that and that's fantastic and you're able to, to purposefully guide yourself in a different direction and, and that's amazing. But you still need to address what's at the root of that. Is there a hurt? Is there a problem that you need to take to Jesus? Is it something that you need to talk to your parents about? Or your friends, or, or even a professional. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's dealing with it. But what I'm saying, guys, is if, if the symptom is, is you always having a bad attitude and, and just exploding in rage, or, or, or maybe you're always just depressed, the question is why? What's going on? If Jesus is promising peace, if Jesus is promising hope and joy, then, then, then there's a disconnect between the way that you're living and the way that Jesus intended you to live. Maybe it's something that you can cry at at an altar. Maybe it's something that you've got to find yourself really talking to people about. But the question is this. Can we take the temperature right here? Can you look over the past week or so, or a month, and see if there's a systemic problem where, where over and over and over you find your attitude just down in the dumps. Sometimes you overcome it, sometimes you let it run away, but either way, guys, there's, a, there's something there that you've got to address. Situational awareness is not just seeing, it's understanding. You see that there's an attitude problem, but the understanding is why. And what can you do to fix it? Maybe you go to the other extreme and, you know, just because your nose up doesn't mean that you're gaining altitude. Maybe, maybe you are, are over the top bubbly because you're just trying to hide something else. You know, you've seen those people. You've met those people. They're super annoying. If you're one of those people, I still love you, but I'm praying for you. Maybe, maybe you put on a mask and say that everything is good. At the end of the day, you realize that you've got stuff bottled up inside of you. And so the question tonight is not... Are you smiling on the outside? The question today is forcing it, taking so much energy that there's something inside that has to be fixed. Situational awareness. You've got to be aware of your attitude and what it's telling you about your overall health, your spiritual health, your mental health, your social health. What is it telling you? How can you fix it? And let me tell you, the first step, the first step is always bringing it to an altar to discuss between you and God. I mean, I say that, guys, I don't mean that you have to come down front or you have to bow your heads and close your eyes. By an altar, I mean you can be in your car on the way home, but you've got to deal with this. The first place you deal with it is just between you and God. If you need to bring in pastors and teachers or, or, or parents or, or professionals in some way, then please do that. 
but see what your attitude is telling you. Last but not least, what are your appetites telling you? What are your appetites telling you? You know what? What you crave is a sign of what's in your heart, of what you desire. What are your appetites telling you? Maybe you've got an appetite to do some good things. Maybe you've got an appetite to preach the gospel. Maybe you've got an appetite for worship. I remember when I first really, really got to know Jesus through a church camp experience eons ago. I came home from camp, and this was back when Shout to the Lord was super big. And, and I remember just, just like singing that song in the bathroom as I was taking a shower. I was just hungry for worship. And if you've ever heard me sing, it's not pretty. I mean, nothing about that is good. But I, I was just so hungry for worship. I was so hungry for God's presence. So maybe you've got an appetite. That should tell you something. That should tell you that you're on the right track, that, that you've got something inside of you that's desiring more of Jesus. Maybe you've got an appetite for the Word, and you don't really know why, but you just really want to get in His Word. You want to read the Bible. You want to understand what's being said. You want to hear His voice for yourself. Those are good appetites. And those, you should recognize. You should see where that's going. You should feed those things, and you should rejoice in those things. That's winning. That's winning. God, thank you for putting this desire in me. God, I'm going to feed it today. Help me to grow tomorrow. That's winning. You're going in a good direction. So maybe it doesn't matter other things that are falling apart in your life. At least in this one area, you are growing spiritually and life is good. So see where that's leading. You see where your appetites are taking you. On the other hand, if your appetites are for sinful things, Here's the thing about appetites, right? It starts as a thought, and then it gets from your brain down into your heart. And once it's in your heart, it comes out your mouth. And once it's out your mouth, then you start acting it out. So if your desires are evil, if your appetites are illicit, if it's the, the web pages that you don't want anybody to know that you're looking at, if it's the the conversations on Snapchat that you really hope that no one ever hears about, if it's those kind of things, then it's a problem of your own heart. Now, everybody's got flesh that we deal with. We all have a flesh appetite, and the flesh nature is sinful, whether it's a, a sexual thing or, or whether it's just a pride thing or a gossip thing. Or, the nature of humanity is evil but if you find yourself thinking about evil all the time then you find yourself in the category of the people at the time of the flood if your thoughts and your appetites are for evil then there's a problem you see the way christians deal with these kind of things is your appetite is for god and then you mess up but when you mess up it's because you weren't planning it, something snuck in, it was a trip, it was a sidestep, it was a oops, you get up and you go on. But if your desire is for those things and you're moving toward those things, that's a different situation. So what I'm saying tonight is, you know what, we've got to stop kidding ourselves a little bit and playing church. 
if the desires of our hearts are evil in any aspect of that, whether it's rebellion or cursing or sexual immorality, any of those things, if, if the desires of your heart are evil, what you've got to understand is that it's an issue. It's a problem. It's not a, oops, I messed up. It's a, hey, I've got to turn this around. What are the signs saying? What are the instruments telling you? Because it's one thing to see the sign. Because let's be honest, we all know when we're desiring evil things. It's one thing to see them. It's another thing to comprehend them. Next week, we'll talk about projecting the outcome of some of our decisions. Thank you for listening today. We invite you to be part of our online community. By subscribing to this podcast, you'll receive the latest episodes in your inbox. We will begin meeting as a physical campus in early 2020. If you live in the central Arkansas area and would like to be part of our launch team, please visit us online by clicking the link in the description below. You're also more than invited to attend our main campus at 8013 Jacksonville Cato Road in Sherwood, Arkansas, with lead pastors Kenny and Krista McBessel. We'll see you soon. Thank you.